like scary movies. Uh-huh. What's your favorite scary movie? Uh, I don't know. You have to have a favorite. What comes to mind? Welcome to the Jumping Scared Podcast. My name's Alex, and I'm joined here today by my twin brother Eric and my older brother Jason. We've bonded over horror movies throughout our lives, and we're here today to share that love with all of you. Welcome, Eric. Welcome, Jason. Excited to have you both with me today. How are you doing, Eric? Oh, I'm doing great. This is going to be fun. This is something we do all the time, is watching horror movies together. So getting all three of us together for a cast is going to be exciting, and um Popping Jason's uh, podcast cherry is going to be exciting as well. So, Jason, are you geared up and ready to talk about these movies? I am. Nothing like starting your Sunday morning discussing the scariest scenes that you've ever seen. (laughs) It's a a good way to look at it. Uh, So the the idea for this episode is we kind of talked about and thought about a little bit some scenes that really jumped out at us of uh, some of our favorite horror movies. And that got me to thinking, you know, what makes a scene in a horror movie truly stand out? You know, is it the visuals, the music, the acting, just the the dread that it inspires? And I think looking at all of this, uh, all the scenes we've compiled for this list, it really is an out- amalgamation of all these elements. There's just so much that goes into making a scene memorable. And with how uh, dis- diverse the horror genre is, it just, you, you can see from our list, there's just a whole mix of things. And uh, I'm excited to talk more about these scenes. So... With that being said, I think we'll just jump straight into it today. And Eric, you want to take us off with uh, one of our first selections? I sure can, uh, because I actually got some feedback, and apparently we didn't talk enough about Psycho on our our last last podcast. So we're going to get that ball rolling right away and talk about a couple scenes from Alfred Hitchcock's 1960s classic. Uh, So obviously this movie gets a lot of credit for a couple specific scenes, most notably the shower scene. Uh, so this is where we're first introduced to the um, the threat of the movie. Uh, we've got the iconic uh, screeching type soundtrack that the movie's famous for. And uh, it kind of is, uh, I guess if you're looking at it from like an early perspective, it's kind of like laying the blueprints for a jump scare. It's not so much a jump scare, but it's, definitely got that shocking nature to it and it's completely different from what the uh, lead up to the film was and uh, it's so I think Jason mentioned this already uh, before we started talking but some people would say this doesn't hold up as being scary um, which I could I could understand it's not as as well versed I guess is what you're expecting from like a 2000s movie there's not as much uh, nuance to it but what it does well it it creates a good tension and it doesn't go over the top with gore it kind of leaves more to the imagination of the viewer and just shows the bare minimum to get the point across and it's it's just it's just a good way to set the mood for what's going to be a thrilling ride towards the psycho uh killer and norman slash norma bates that appears throughout the rest of the film before you go too much further i actually almost would call it a bit of a jump scare with just because of how dramatic the shift in volume and tone was with the music cutting in when the shower curtains pulled back you know that is you get the super loud um iconic screeching music and uh that definitely made me jump the first time i saw it and i think it's definitely a precursor to a lot of jump 
Yeah, it's uh, it's not something that you're going to sh- show somebody out of the blue if you want to scare them. But having seen the movie and at least looking at it through the lens of the era that it came in, it's definitely a scene that sticks with you. If not necessarily because it's scary, but it's absolutely memorable and uh, it's one of my one of my favorite scenes based on just every every aspect we've already discussed. So, Jason, you uh, you mentioned you you uh, you haven't seen the full movie, but rewatching this scene, you weren't terribly impressed. <laughs> um, Yo, know, that is accurate. <laughs> it does not uh, necessarily hold up as well as I would have thought. Um, that said, well, I guess you, we've got a second scene from that movie that I thought held up a lot better. Um, but yeah, it, it basically just was like a little bit of a light. Maybe it, maybe it is the first jump scare that has really been used, but uh, it was not 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 what it'd be today, I guess, as far as like um, how like shocking and uh, how much the volume and whatnot would change. They just really use like that screeching sound to to set the tone. I, I and I understand that criticism. I'm not saying it's unfair, but it's one I disagree with. So we'll just we'll just leave it at that. And since I love the movie, I uh, there's I can find nothing wrong with it, and that's my bias. So I live with that. <laughs> um, but if these are these are thing, two two remaining scenes. I think we can all agree are fantastic, and those are when uh, the body or what's left of the body of Norma Bates is discovered. And Norman enters the basement dressed up as his mother, and we kind of realize the full scope of his psychosis and what's going on. And then finally, the end of the movie, as we are sitting in the jail cell with Anthony Perkins, and he is having this dialogue with himself where he's uh, speaking as his mother through his body, and he just smiles off to the camera. And that image of him just smirking is just absolutely terrifying knowing Yo, chilling absolutely knowing chilling. just knowing the site like everything that's going on behind what his mind is doing it's just it's fantastic and if there's a better acted horror scene than that i'd uh i'd like you to tell me because it's it's just he deserves every bit of praise he can get for displaying that range of emotion just with like a smirk and a glance yeah, I very much agree. He the the twist with his personality that comes out towards the end of the movie, uh, how it manifests himself itself within him is just so interesting and so compelling. And I it's I think it's still absolutely great. Cool. Um, and I maybe this is a bit late. This is after the first scene, but I'm gonna just go ahead and say spoilers ahead. We're gonna be spoiling <laughs> uh, lots of scenes from a lot of movies. So if you're uh, you hear the title of a movie when we start. We're going to give spoilers, so sorry if you guys got spoilers to Psycho, but that's an old one, so I'm not too worried about. And I will also be including a link to a YouTube playlist um, uh, that'll be into the description, and it'll have uh, all the videos just in this order. So if you want an easy way to watch these scenes, it'll be linked up for you. Should have said that before, but I forgot, and so we're going to move right forward with it. And then, uh, yeah, going forward, Jay, you want to take us away with uh, one of our other favorite ones? Yeah, so this next one is uh, the movie Strangers, which was 2008, Brian Bertino directed. 
Um, it was, I, I got into horror movies basically when I was in college. So this, uh, to my recollection, this is the first uh, horror movie that I'd ever seen in theaters. Um, and one thing that's different about that, like I, when I was first getting into them, I'd watch them with friends and like that always kind of uh, mutes the tune or the, the atmosphere in the room a little bit. Um, you're, you're not as fully focused uh, on the movie. You might have like popcorn going or something else. Um, that's going to take you out of the experience a little bit, but I went and saw The Strangers with uh, my sister um, in theaters, and the way that that movie progresses just so slowly and so quietly, um, it was super effective for me. Uh, so you go f and see the, um, I believe they introduce the girl character first who comes to the door uh, where Liv Tyler's character is uh, at this cabin, um, and then the first time you'll actually see somebody that like you are a hundred percent sure is there to just torment her <laughs> is this, uh, masked man that just appears in the house as she's starting to get a little bit scared after this girl comes to the door. So, um, you see the, uh, Liv Tyler is in the kitchen and I think she's got a cigarette and maybe a glass of wine. And all of a sudden, you just see a masked man. You can't even see most of the body, but you just see in the distance, like an unfocused um, framing of this person just standing there and watching her. And then before you know it, the guy disappears and um, she hears a loud bang. And that's when the movie kind of takes off from there. Uh, and she knows that th this is not a good situation. Yeah, very well said. Uh, I like that you mentioned, you know, seeing something in theaters or in a different atmosphere really can change the tone of movies. And that's very, very true for horror movies. Uh, this this scene in particular, I really loved how he the, the masked man wasn't a focal point of the shot. He was very much in the background. If you're not paying super close attention, you almost hardly see him. Like, you know, it, it's not like there's no huge like spotlight on them. They're not focusing and they don't zoom in on him, then zoom out to show the whole frame. So I just love that. It just, it, it really put yourself in her shoes. It made you feel uncomfortable like she was feeling. And yeah, it was just wonderful. Yeah. What, what this movie does great is it's sense of immersion. Like you can really, it's really easy to picture yourself in this kind of situation. Uh, it's, and it just kind of makes you want to look over your shoulder just constantly and it's that this, that's why this movie is so successful like jason said it's slow building uh there's not a whole lot going on like but what they they take a, or they do a lot with what they uh the liberties they take which are very few and it's just because you can put yourself in these people's shoes and it's just a terrifying situation that's not uh not far from home really yeah, and I'm glad you said that, Eric. You know, the fear of putting yourself in the, the victim's shoes because moving right forward with our next scene, that, that really is a, a, going to be a central theme here again. And this is going to be from 1991's Silence of the Lambs by director Jonathan Demme. And this is my favorite scene from the movie, probably one of my most creepy scenes, uh, really, of all horror. Uh, it's going to be Clarice Sterling in the basement uh, in Buffalo Bill's house. He cuts the lights, and she is thrown into pitch darkness. I mean, it's completely dark. You can picture yourself in a situation where you can't see your hand in front of your face. This is what Clarice is going through. And then you get the really cool kind of flip of that. You then get to be put into Buffalo Bill's perspective as he flips on night vision goggles, and he's watching and observing Clarice fumble around in the darkness, reaching out, trying to find the walls, and he's just 
almost toying with her like at one point he like tries to like stroke her hair as she's only like feet from him and she can't see him at all and you get this just dread that he is so much more knowledgeable than she is in this situation and you can really feel that dread that she's feeling and it's it's super uncomfortable and the entire length of this scene until the climax uh yeah i'm just i I personally am really uncomfortable by that just feeling of really helplessness in the dark and uh, i just absolutely love that scene yeah, I've uh, I've had a a genre debate with somebody on an internet forum regarding Silence of the Lambs, who claimed it's not a horror movie because it's not scary, which is a whole different can of worms that I'm not not going to open on this podcast. But uh, I pointed to this scene exactly and said, if this if you if you don't consider this scene scary, then I'm calling absolute shenanigans, my friend, and you are mm-hmm. incapable of being scared. <laughs> I I agree completely agree. It is weird, too, that you because you did mention like he or she seems extremely out of the element and he seems very comfortable, you know, in his own home and he's got the darkness. It it was weird to me a little bit. Uh, Maybe this is just the way that they have to make the movie wrap up real well. But the way he basically meets his downfall is just like loudly clicking (laughs) the trigger of his gun um, to become found out. I don't know. It seemed like something as diabolical as he was, he would probably be able to at that point, once you have a person in your house in the darkness and you have night vision goggles, <laughs> be able to, uh, to, you know, do whatever you're going to do, take them captive or kill them or whatnot. But, um, actually, additionally to this movie, I took, a films class in high school. And, uh, remember one of the ones that we looked at was silence of the lambs. There's an interesting thing that, uh, or aspect of it that they play on so many common phobias, um, in that towards the end of this movie, like I I don't remember all of them, but I think there was something like eight to 10 pretty common phobias. Uh, you have Mm -hmm. like claustrophobia of the girl in the well, you have the, the phobia of being in the dark. Um, Mm -hmm. you have all of the bugs around. So, um, yeah, it, it was really, really well done. They have all of this kind of acting in the same same, uh, same scene, but uh, it doesn't even come to the forefront. Like, all you're kind of thinking about is, okay, this guy is now, or you're in the dark and uh, mm-hmm. in this creepy guy's house, but there just are, are all these um, different fears playing in the background of it as well. Yeah, definitely. Good, uh, good input on that. Thanks for sharing. Um, yeah, so this next one, uh, movie Sinister by Scott Derrickson, um, 2012. So something that I really appreciate in horror movies, probably more than most, is uh, found footage scenes. I for for whatever reason that just plays as super realistic to me. Um, I have a harder time, I guess, buying into like paranormal type of movies uh, just because it seems so unrealistic. But whenever you put in some found footage, I'm going to be into it. So um, as far as I can recall, this uh, this scene in Sinister is the first time that Ethan Hawke's character is watching these home movies in the basement of the house that they're in. And um, you can see that there's a the, the point of view of the uh, home video director or the person with the camera is just watching this family and it it progresses and you kind of follow them around the outside of the house very uh creepy and then all of a sudden it's a true jump scare but he's like mowing the lawn and he just 
mows over two humans. <laughs> um, and then the volume uh, increases tremendously as soon as they come into frame. Um, and that, I think they have a couple other found footage scenes from that movie. It's been a long time since I've seen it, but all of them pretty effective. But I believe that was the first one uh, in, in terms of um, uh, from from the beginning of the movie that they showed. Um, so yeah, that that uh, stuck out to me. I, I believe that movie ends pretty badly. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. It was it wasn't one of my favorites for sure. Yeah, but it had some good good moments for sure. Yeah. That, that's. The first and second act were very good, and then the last act uh, did not hold up, did not follow, finish strongly, which is a fairly common theme in a lot of horror movies. <laughs> so yeah, it can happen. I'm, I'm going to have to play devil's advocate a little bit here. Uh, so I haven't seen Sinister, despite Alex claiming I've watched it with him. Uh, yes, yeah. Don't, don't fall for the fake news, people. Uh, so I haven't seen it, but I did watch this scene just kind of in preparation for the podcast. And seeing it out of context, I thought it was full on goof troop. It it was I mean, this is to me, this is kind of like the embodiment of people who write off horror movies because of like silly jump scares. To me, it's just a silly jump scare. So maybe there's more underlying context I need for it, but without that context, it's just pure goofiness for me. I think it is a well done jump scare though. And I think the distinction between a well done jump scare and a cheap jump scare Maybe the line sometimes is a bit thin between those, but, you know, it wasn't, I guess maybe it's going to be harder to find, and I haven't really thought about this too much, but I just really like the jump scare because you you really aren't expecting it when you're watching the movie. You're, this person's watching this home video just out of curiosity's sake, and all of a sudden the, the lawnmower, it's going for a long time. The lawnmower, you're following it for maybe 15 seconds, then it just, you get this like shriek as you see the body come underneath. And I just thought, you know, it definitely made me jump, and I think it was also creepy because then it sets the tone for... Why, why does the, why is this video in this, you know, this collection of videos I found? Like, so then you're forgetting the dread that, uh, that the main character is feeling too. And I think it sets up kind of the movie to have this really creepy undertone. So I think it was a really good jump scare in that, right? Yeah. I, I appreciate you trying. It's just not happening for me, dog. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. Okay. Uh, so speaking of jump scares, uh, this is a movie with, uh, some pretty well done jump scares in my opinion. And this is a, a a movie that a lot of people kind of first probably got into horror because of. Uh, it was a early trendsetter for the generation, and this was The Ring, made by Gore Verbinski in 2002. Um, everybody knows this concept. If you're worried about spoilers, I mean, I don't. <laughs> it's it's a. Uh, Either you've seen it or you know how it how it works. So and we uh, gave a spoiler warning a yeah. little bit late, but we gave one. So yeah. But if you're if you're trying to like sift through this podcast and you hear us talk about the ring, don't skip forward. I mean, if you, I don't know what you're doing with your life if you're <laughs> just skipping forward because of this movie. But anyway, uh, so the the scene is iconic and it's the uh, the first time Samara 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 I haven't seen the movie so Samara long. Samara yeah. uh, comes through the TV and what what this scene is so cool. Uh, like before, obviously the tension's growing. Uh, he's watching the tape as the TV comes on, and you can see her crawling out the well and slowly coming more and more into picture. And my favorite part about the uh, scene itself is before she comes out of the TV, you see the condensation start working itself down the side of the TV. And you're just like, okay, this is extremely real. This is not just a tape. You're not going to get like killed by something on screen something is actually coming out of that screen and it's coming for you 
so it's this is one where you don't need any context uh, because a uh, Samara looks super creepy herself, and uh, this scene is just fantastic. Yeah, I liked how you said that. You know, because during the movie we see like the aftermath of some of the victims, and we know that people are supposed to die because they watch this movie, but we don't know how. We don't know what's going to happen, and then to finally see oh, wow, this is what happened. It's super creepy, and yeah, I really liked that. If I'm, if I'm being realistic of, like, the ways to go out of from, like, iconic horror villains, this isn't a bad way. Like, you're not getting slashed <laughs> to death. You're not, like, I guess you're, you're thinking about it for a week, like, once you watch the tape, but, I mean, do you know, I mean, do you know how painless the death is? Because the people usually have a look of dread. Like, they look, like, super terrified, don't See, they? I'm, I'm kind of picturing it, like, how a basilisk works in Harry Potter. So you just like catch the eyes and you're just like, oh, I'm done. So it's, it's, well, that would be painless. But it, it could I, be. I, I mean, that's I'm picturing, I'm picturing darker. I'm, I'm, I'm working with the assumption that it's painless. Uh, not maybe not painless, but like as opposed to getting chased down and breaking your leg in a forest while running from Jason Voorhees. I'll uh, I'll pick pick uh, Samara. Sorry. From what I recall, these uh, the characters in this movie kind of fought it, if I'm not mistaken they were trying to solve this uh seven day puzzle before yes, they died very much yeah would you guys do the same because i feel like uh, a better move might be just like going to disneyland or you know doing something like that <laughs> accept your fate yeah accept your fate uh, and live it up the last seven days you know clear out the bank well, account I mean, though they they do end up finding a solution so it is a really it's a grisly solution but they find a solution so i don't know Going to Disneyland, I can't get this out of my head now. Can you imagine just like the Disney Day parade and you're just in the middle there and Samara's just like following you? Oh, man. <laughs> she, gets, she gets her picture taken on the back of Splash Mountain. You, you've got like one seat back and she's just like reaching out for you. That, oh so, okay, gosh. yeah. If you, if you could get your photo snagged on a ride with Samara right behind you, that would be the. Dude, I would go out. I that think way I think she'd have to like give up due to embarrassment. Like she has to get marked out so hard. <laughs> she, she, yeah, she'd walk off the ride and look at the, look at the little screen and be so upset. Um, that's you great. You don't want you don't want to buy this picture, miss. <laughs> that was actually kind of plays into something I was gonna say too, because uh, they could have maybe even used what we just said, but. I thought this scene or that uh, Samara emerging from the well was so creepy that it was actually still creepy when they parodied it in Scary Movie 3. <laughs> so, yeah, I did too. When I was younger, <laughs> I was legitimately scared of her in Scary Movie 3 when it came out. I mean, it, I was not that young, but I was a little scared for sure. Yeah, this will this will be a little embarrassing, but uh, so Scary Movie 3 was kind of like the, I guess if you can consider it a scary movie, the first remembrance of a scary movie I uh, saw. And me and Alex saw it. We watched it with Jason and some of his buddies. But uh, that night we had to sleep with the lights on <laughs> in our <laughs> yeah. room. We were, we were both real scared. Bro. <laughs> so, yeah, good good, good selection there. They should have uh, gone with uh, Samara at Disneyland. I think that would have been funnier. <laughs> maybe that's a that's a sequel. Rings, Rings didn't do so well, I don't think. So maybe uh, The Ring 3. We'll, we'll get the, the full circle. <laughs> that could even be the tagline, the ring three, the full, <laughs> the full circle. <laughs> Comes full circle. All righty. And so the the next scene we've got coming out is a uh, M. Night Shyamalan movie that kind of uh, redeemed him in the eyes of a lot of horror fans. And this was uh, The Visit in 2015. and Very much under the radar, I'd say, on the mainstream, though. Uh, yeah, yes and no. I think, um, I think it... It wasn't like highly publicized before it came out, but then it had great word of mouth after that. 
Um, mm-hmm. But it's it's definitely a definitely pe- a movie that people appreciate now, and p- for pretty good reason. I mean, it's not perfect, but it's it's definitely a good movie. And the uh, the scene that sticks out the most is uh, so basically um, the kids are filming themselves because the they're millennials and they have to do that. Uh, but they're playing hide and seek at their supposed grandparents' house, and they've got these kind of network of tunnels underneath uh, their like front deck, basically. It's like uh, a really big crawl space. Essentially. It's like yeah, it's like an outdoor crawl space, and uh, there's like enough room where you can crawl on your hands and legs without bumping your head or anything. And so they're playing hide and seek down there, and as they're crawling through the tunnels, uh, they find a third person and it's their grand grandma and she is she is out to win <laughs> she's not playing games she is out to win this uh, hide and seek and uh you don't because you don't you don't have very much dialogue outside of her playing the role of seeker extremely well and uh she is super fast for her age very nimble and very terrifying she just is full on in that seeker mode and they're not expecting her to be there so it's just you can you can imagine yourself being it's cramped like Jason said this hits on a uh, scenes that are able to hit on a couple different fears like being trapped being chased things like that are just easy easy uh, easy ways to be uh, pretty spooky so this scene does yeah. that super well and it's about I think a two minute two minute scene where you're either hiding running or uh, just trying to get away from that threat. And this this takes place pretty early in the movie. And if you haven't seen it and don't know much about this movie, I, I recommend checking out this scene. And if you like it, and I think you will, this gives a pretty good tone for it. And I would I would recommend just watching this movie because it's a it's an enjoyable ride and uh, a real fun one from Shyamalan. Um, this next scene uh, from Insidious, the the final scene of the movie, James Wan, twenty ten. You guys, I believe, have discussed it uh, fairly recently, a little bit more in depth. But um, yeah, also one of my favorites, just uh, to, to recap what that is, is they are, I believe, in um, around a table or in a living room of their house. And uh, you see the older woman take a photograph of um, the father in the story. And uh, like you can tell by her face that something is not right. And immediately, um, I, I don't know if it's like a Polaroid or something, but the, the viewers are... Uh, the the picture is revealed to the viewers and you can see that uh yeah basically an evil spirit has taken over himself as well um just the, the movie itself was good all the way up until that point and then it ended on a strong note which again kind of going back it, not all horror movies do so it's really refreshing when that does happen and this this one was fun too because i think the third act in general was a bit of a letdown for sure in this movie but then the very final five or so minutes is i thought was absolutely phenomenal it, it was terrifying you you get really creeped out by this you know it's a shadowy black like black clad woman who's this spirit and she is very creepy looking and uh the the fear that you see in the paranormal investigator's eyes as she takes the picture because she knows something's wrong yeah i really literally like this scene yeah this uh this movie actually kind of pisses me off <laughs> to be honest it it's it's so good they do such a good job of setting up this idea of the further which is what they call this dimension that 
people who fall asleep can uh, venture into and they can intermingle with the spiritual world. And they set this all up. It actually looks pretty dope once they get there. It's like very foggy and you can kind of see different spirits and interact with them. And then they've got this Darth Maul mob boss sitting in the house like at his (laughs) perch and just like watching over everything. And that's like your... That's your peak. That's your main. Oh, and the villain. music they're playing in the background too. It's it's not horror movie music. It's like what tiptoe through the tulips. <laughs> it's just so it's so silly. Yeah, it's, and he's like grinding something on like a grindstone. Oh my goodness! Because yeah, they they set up this final scene that we just were discussing so well with the idea that uh, so the main the main uh, father he is somebody who is able to go into this uh, spiritual world. There's only a certain certain percentage of the uh, population who can do it Um, astral projection astral projection and uh, they set up the idea that he doesn't like getting his picture taken because this spirit of like this old witch would always be like in the background of the pictures and like because he he was constantly semi-attached to her and so uh they build that up pretty well and they the payoff is super great it's just darth maul (laughs) why why did you do that (laughs) Um, so our next one is, uh, another M. Night Shyamalan, kind of before he, we, we said it with the visit in 2015, he redeemed himself. And this movie for me, uh, the movie signs in 2002 was when he was still good. So he went from good to pretty bad. Um, the happening is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Um, and then kind of came back with the visit in 2015, but uh, Signs, what worked for me, again, going back to um, the Sinister, what works always so well for me is found footage scenes. So this was the first time I'd ever seen one of those. And the scene in question is uh, when I think it's the very first time you see like a true full shot of the, the alien species invading Earth. Um, there was a previously you could see like a foot out in the cornfield when Mel Gibson is running through their uh, crops. Um, but this one is, uh, I forget the actor's name, but he's uh, in the crawl space in the house, kind of camping out and watching the news. And they have uh, homemade footage from a Mexican girl's birthday party. And um, th- there's a bunch of chaos. And then all of a sudden, uh, kind of like a jump scare. There's no increase in volume, but it's building up. And then all of a sudden this uh, alien walks by. I'm not sure how well it holds up, but at the time, seeing it being a uh, first found footage scene that I always appreciate that I'd ever seen um, was very effective for me. Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I feel like I'm of the opinion that I could have appreciated that if I saw it earlier, but uh, this is another scene where so I haven't seen the entirety of Signs. I've only seen bits and pieces. And uh, watching this scene in preparation for this podcast, I'm super into uh, cryptid channels on YouTube. Uh, this this felt like it's something that I would see on like a top five. Is this an alien list? It was just pure <laughs> goofiness to me. And the fact that you've got this guy in his house watching this video of an alien and he's just like in the background reacting like he just got shot. It is so silly to me, but I, uh, well, this is, this is also to be fair, you know, 15 years ago when the sharing videos was, was much harder. So like you, you kind of are more likely maybe to believe stuff you see like that. So I think it's, 
maybe a bit more compelling <clears throat> given the the amount of time that's come from it this was I'm, before youtube it was basically america's funniest home videos was your found footage <laughs> at the time so yeah. and they weren't sending too many found aliens into afv so it would have done really well i would have voted for it to make the finals <laughs> uh, okay um moving right forward got another one coming from james wan uh, or wait, this is our first James Wan. I was thinking, no, second, Insidious. Um, so second one, uh, Conjuring 2, 2016. Uh, this is both one of mine and Eric's absolute favorite sequences in horror is going to be the se- uh, the sequence where Valak is in uh, Lorraine's house. And essentially she is going to be involved with the portrait that uh, Ed had done. So the scene takes place, uh, you know, Lorraine's daughter points down this hallway and there's this nun just standing there and she's like what who is that mom and goes you know Lorraine follows her into another room where there's this painting on the wall and some some things start going bump and you see a shadow of a nun start walking across the far wall slowly really slowly just wrapping around the wall until it's level exactly with the painting and then you know the hands start creeping out the side and the nun bursts forward and I just absolutely love that. I, it was so creepy with the shadow representing the figure and then taking for, the actual physical form through the portrait. And, oh, man, it, it, it plays off, you know, the creepiness of, I mean, just like what, the, the really creepy design of the nun, I think, is, is a scary thing on its own. And it plays off feeling overwhelmed by, like, a force you don't understand. And, yeah, it's just... I, I just absolutely love this sequence. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm not afraid to say this because I wholeheartedly believe it. This is the best setup to a jump scare of all time. It's there's just there's in my mind there's nothing that even really competes with it. It's it's such a clever idea. Uh, you it's not something that's been done before, and uh, it it just looks so so good. It really does. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then our, our next scene is going to be a little bit different. So this is one that I absolutely love, and it's a bit strange, I think, if you just look at it objectively. So it's going to be from The Shining, 1980, Stanley Kubrick. Um, if you watched our top 30, you know this is one of my favorite uh, one of my favorite horror movies. And honestly, so this isn't necessarily like a terrifying scene or a masterfully done scene, but my, one of my favorite scenes from the movie is just the intro um, where you're going to have them drive, you know, a car driving through the kind of the mountains and the Colorado wilderness. And you just have the beautiful score by Wendy Carlos and Rachel Elkind, who um, were the composers of the score for this film. And it's just phenomenal because it starts building, like it builds dread and you don't know why it, it, it makes you feel uncomfortable. It makes you feel a little scared and you don't really have a reason to. And it just, as it's doing so, you, the car is in the camera, which is an overhead shot, is slowly approaching something. You don't know what. And then eventually, as the introduction ends, you are funneled into the Overlook Hotel with this creepy uh, score. And you just are immediately arriving at the hotel feeling uncomfortable. And that just sets the stage for the movie so well. And I just absolutely love it. Yeah, I, uh, I like things that look cool, especially when they're paired with uh, cool sounds. I'm easy to please, <laughs> and this scene definitely does that. It's yeah, the the switchbacks getting up to the hotel. It's just uh, yeah, like you said, it's eerie. It's you're not. It's not. You're not meant to be scary, but it's just setting the mood in the right way. I'll add a little bit of uh, information because I just went to 
um, that uh, uh, that's the Stanley Hotel in uh, Estes Park, Colorado. This past summer, I did not realize at the time we, we had signed up to tour the the hotel there, and that the movie actually was not shot there. And it was one of the reasons that Stephen King um, kind of he I think he's on record saying he did not really like the way that the movie turned out or it wasn't uh, done the way he wanted um, with uh, Stanley Kubrick's direction, but. Believe it, it was actually it was uh, filmed on the West Coast, either Washington or California, um, but inspired by the Stanley Hotel there in Estes Park. So uh, they did make it look pretty similar, but that um, the the driving sequence up the mountains actually, I think, still is in California. There, it's not a uh, scene you get necessarily when you're going to um, Stanley Hotel in Estes Park, but. That is where he stayed and basically came up with the concept of the movie um, back in the, the 70s, I believe it was. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, so even even that that being said, I still feel like it's it's taking place in Colorado. It looks like it's in Colorado, so it still works great for me. And I just, again, I just, I really love that introductory scene. And anytime, you know, I've seen The Shining, honestly, countless times, and like anytime I'm like, hmm, maybe I'll throw this on. If I if I watch through that intro, I'm I'm gonna watch the entire movie. <laughs> like it's just gonna happen. So it just hooks me, yeah. and I'm uh, I get excited. I always it. say kudos to you if you can portray something uh, like being in a location that you're not. If you can portray that and make people think it's that, then more power to you. I don't I don't care that you're faking it as long as you're doing a good job with it. Well, Stephen King does apparently. He had he had other issues with it too. But that's another. We we've talked about this a bit already, and it's a, that's a that's a topic for a whole episode maybe. Yeah. So uh, we got but, we uh, got some feedback yeah. from our top ten uh, that it should have been renamed the uh, Stephen King Love Fest uh, based on I thought, some I of the that comments was, you I, made. I thought that was uh, from our uh, 2019 preview. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's been, right. but we've had a lot way. of Stephen King heavy. We've had a lot of Stephen King heavy episodes. And uh, Jason, moving forward, do we have some more Stephen King coming our way? We do. Uh, the movie Misery, directed by Rob Reiner in 1990, um, with Kathy Bates and James Kahn. One of my favorites of all time. It'd be definitely in my top five. Uh, just the the pacing, the again, the realism, um, kind of easy to see the way that this plays out being something that could actually happen to you. Um but the scene in particular that is the, probably the most disturbing is after Kathy Bates realizes that the uh, the author, James Conn's character, has been up and about after being uh, bedridden like when he had first gotten there. Um, she decides that she is going to do this hobbling. Um, in the scene, she quotes from, what is it, uh, if you guys recall, is it uh, like coal miners? Yeah, I believe it's it's some sort of mining, so it's like really aggressive, uh, essentially slave owners who are mistreating their employees. Yeah, and they did not want them to be able to run away, so she takes like a, a wood block, like a two-by-four, and puts it in between his legs while he's still laying in the bed, and then just takes a sledgehammer and just <laughs> bludgeons his feet so that they are completely broken, and uh, you're not, uh, not going to be walking anywhere um, while that is healing up if it even does so um a tremendously ter uh, terrifying scene like to to put yourself in james Conn's place there is like it, it that would that just sticks with you 
Yeah. yeah, and I think Khan has a great scream when it happens. He's because he's got a little bit of um, some sort of sedative. She, she she needles him right before the procedure, but it's not enough to completely take the pain away. And not only is it a scream of pain, but it's a scream of knowing that you're. I mean, that's going to be something that's going to ruin your ruin your life. You're never going to be walking normal again. And uh, I think the you know the idea of coping with the loss of your mobility and the just the increased kind of demented behavior you're observing from this person who's taking care of you it's just uh terrifying i have such a hard time watching that scene it's uh really disturbing and the, i think the practical effects were phenomenal and really well done yeah what uh what really sets this one apart for me is just the deadpan delivery of annie wilkes as this is all going in like the slow realization that she gives oh yeah i know you've been out three times just that she and then she shows the knife as he's looking for the knife oh you're looking for this it's just his whole world that he's slowly been uh, building up to try and escape comes crashing down, and the uh, peak of that is getting sh- his legs completely shattered. Yep. And to that point, I don't think or at that point in the movie, I don't think um, he probably recognizes that she's pretty nutty, but he may not think that. Oh, I'm never going to get out of here. At that point, you're probably starting to think that I do not know what's going to happen next. <laughs> and he not, he also continually thought he was outsmarting her until this point. Yes. And then he knows that, okay, she's, she's a little smarter than I realized she is. And I realize she is, she is crazy, but she is also smarter than I realize. And that's also a really scary fact for him. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, really, really well done. Uh, okay. Another favorite of mine. And this is from a movie I saw a long time ago and I haven't, we watched in full in a long time, but this scene has stayed with me. It's from 2007's El Orfanato, The Orphanage by J.A. Bayona. That's a Spanish movie. And uh, the scene in question, it, it's not necessarily any one scene that makes it so great, but the fact that it kind of builds on itself. So there's a motif where the main character, who's a woman, is going back to this orphanage to try to kind of learn things about her past or the past of uh, after the loss of you know, people in her life. And she she recalls playing this game called uh, Toca la Pared, which is essentially like knocking on the wall. And it's you know, as you, you go, uno, dos, tres, Toca la Pared. And as you're doing that, people can kind of come closer to you before you're able to turn around. And uh, in the scene in question, uh, the, the, the really kind of infamous uh, Toca la Pared scene, she's doing this. And then these ghostly children essentially are, are coming closer and then she does it again she turns to the wall one two three turns again they're closer and they get closer and closer and closer and i think that was just so well done because they use this game throughout it it was a you know common thread and to, to then have the really interesting scare of these ghostly children then coming to play this game with her but also that you know creeping up on her oh it's just great like it makes you really uncomfortable and i uh, really really like it Sorry, this is going to be a little off topic, but do you guys, uh, I'm curious like to how national this is. Do you guys remember playing the uh, game, What Time Is It, Mr. Fox? Yeah. Yep. Okay. I'm, I'm, I wonder if that was just like the elementary school we went to or if like that's actually a game. Because that's the exact same concept as Toca La Pared. Uh, I'm, I'm curious if that's like a... That's a thing people play. So if you're listening, well, we, all, we all we all we all went to the same elementary school. Diversity. If you're listening and you played a game like this, uh, tell us what the name was, or if you played what time is it, Mr. Fox? Let us know because I'm I'm curious to see if uh, that was just just a game we played, or if that's something. If there's a different name or a different type of game for this concept, because I don't know. Yeah, I'm just curious. Fun. 
So sorry, sorry, I derailed that a little bit. <laughs> no, uh, that's okay. Yeah, the scene, the scene's fun. Um, because at this point, you don't really. It's it's very uh it's a very mental game you're going through. Kind of her spiral out of control as she's kind of trying to cope with uh, the losses she's dealing with and mm-hmm. trying to kind of fully realize what situation she's in. And this scene is a uh, kind of a vindication for her a little bit. And uh, yep. It's that de- the way it's set up is is wonderful because you it's it's on the fringe of being like in a dangerous but also like a very curious situation as well. So it's a it's is a great addition for sure. Yes, very much so. And one more uh, comment on that. I, I kind of feel like this is the case with a lot of movies if you're going to watch it in not your native language. But particularly in horror, it can work well. But just having the the lack of awareness of either like bad dialogue or <laughs> potentially bad uh, delivery of lines that that goes out the window when you're just kind of absorbing <laughs> um, another another language and then following along with subtitles. So uh, that works. I think this movie. I, I can't speak for it. It was real. It was well done enough that I would think it was probably well done, even if uh, I was a native Spanish speaker. But I have like a, a, a higher appreciation for movies when I'm watching them in a different language, just because I can't be critical in that way. That's actually that's a great comment. I I've, I'm of the opinion that as long as you've got like the mental fortitude to really focus on the movie and pay attention to the subtitles, you lose like a sense of security being in a foreign language just because you're you're like in an unfamiliar territory and you're kind of stuck with that with the movie itself. So it, you, it's like a uh, your security blanket's gone of being familiar with it and you're just kind of along for the ride being a little a little confused and uh, it just kind of makes it a little bit scarier just by being foreign. And Eric, I, I I can't I can't help but notice that your your security blanket being removed. And with that, I'm going to segue into the security of your own consciousness being removed with 1981's Evil Dead by Sam Raimi. And how is that for a segue? Because the scene in question we have here is so. This is after the Necronomicon's been found. This is after some of the weird kind of uh, you know, mysticism has been established, but this is a scene where we really learn that, okay, this is what's going on in this movie, and this is going to be unpleasant. Um, you have, and this, is, uh, this has been a little while for me, so I, f- I forget the two n- names of the characters who are playing cards, but you have these two girls who are playing this card game where um, the one girl is trying to guess the card, and her friend is messing with her, saying she's guessing it right each time, like, oh, you have, e- I have ESP, I'm doing so good, and then uh, you have Cheryl sitting by the window, who then, you know, the girl flips a card to play another round and she just starts saying card names in this like raspy voice. She's like, Ace of Spades, Queen of, as she's flipping and she keeps saying that card name exactly right. And uh, it builds into a crescendo where they keep flipping faster and faster. And then she has this like, you know, crescendo of Queen of Diamonds, Ace of Spades. And then she turns around and she's like full out possessed and her face looks, you know, disgusting. And they're all terrified because at this point, none of the main characters have been. Uh, you know, turned. I, I forget what the term for the evil dead deadites. None of them have become deadites before, um, and this is the first one really that they're all experiencing. And it's it, it made me really uncomfortable seeing the first time, and I thought it was great. Yeah, w- one thing I, I like about this scene is that uh, you can see Cheryl. She opens up her third eye, and so she uh, gets aware of her surroundings. And this podcast is a is a fan of making sure you know what's going on behind the scenes and understanding that true reality. So 
that's what I really like. This scene's kind of goofy to me because I haven't seen the full movie. Uh, it, it's it's probably good in in context, but uh, this is also a scene that I could uh, have some have some beers and laugh at if it's thrown into a playlist <laughs> because I mean, she gets after it. She really does. She's they do a good job with like, the visuals. I, I think of you're it. giving it a bit of a disservice. I think it's much more creepy than fun. I, I think anything you can like dissect if you're being purposely critical of, but I think it's a pretty creepy, well done scene. I mean, um, you know what they say about opinions, right? <laughs> i mean I, I i'm not i'm not i'm not trying to be like overly critical i'm just saying i'm just saying there is this room or this uh scene leaves a little bit of room for somebody to take it a little bit silly so i will say this scene made my wife not want to watch the rest of the movie because it creeped her out oh that's that'll that'll happen with wives that's why you shouldn't have one Oh, <laughs> <Yikes>. <laughs> okay. And with that being said, <laughs> sorry, 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 Debbie, when you listen to this podcast, it, that, I, that came out wrong. I don't, I don't know what I was going for. Uh, I, I, I wish I could take it back, but it's been said. So, uh, moving on, we've got a a scene from uh, definitely a. A, a horror classic, a movie that finds itself on many people's top fives, a movie that we discussed in our top 10 podcast, and that is the uh, 1982 The Thing by John Carpenter. So uh, this movie's got kind of uh, a cluster of pretty good scenes to choose from, but one that definitely sticks out as uh, just kind of jumping above the rest is once they discover that The Thing is a very real threat, and they devise a test to figure out who is the thing and who is human. And the way they do this is by uh, getting some blood from all of the living and dead, or I guess quote-unquote dead people in their room, and testing it with a hot wire, because as they, as they show, um, the thing's blood will basically fight against that and try to survive. And the way this plays out is just fantastic. It's super, uh, it's a very high-strung environment. Everybody's on edge because we've seen multiple people die, multiple people be killed by other people. And they just don't want to be, they basically, they, they don't know what's going to happen. They don't know who's the thing and who's not. And they finally kind of got a test to figure it out. And it, it's just this is a scene without context. It's incredible. With context, it's even better. Uh, so this is a movie worth watching no matter what, and you probably don't need to worry about spoilers for it because it's still fun regardless, and this is definitely the the pinnacle scene of the movie. Yeah, this is a, I mean, this is a movie I love, and the, the big thing I love about it is just the, incredi- the incredible tension that's built between these, intention and mistrust that's built between these former colleagues, former friends, as this unknown uh, entity essentially is infiltrating them. And this scene is a, like a perfect representation of that distrust that, uh, you know, you can't, you can't, you don't know if your friend is still your friend, if they're uh, this alien creature, essentially. And it's, it's just uh, absolutely wonderful. And you, you see a ton of great character development, even just throughout the scene, uh, throughout the whole movie, but throughout the scene as well. And yeah, just really wonderful. So I'm uh, I'm curious, Jason. Uh, you said you've see, you saw this movie a long time ago, and you weren't the biggest fan. So I'm I'm curious what you thought about at least the 
the blood test scene on a, a rewatch uh, just recently. Yeah, like I don't even really remember seeing that scene. So that I we would have watched it in uh, my high school science fiction class, um, which I, I think our classes were like, you know, 50 minutes uh, maybe. So I think it would probably have been split up between two and three different classes, which is also going to make a movie <laughs> play out way, uh, way less, you know, than it should. Um, but, uh, the, the blood test scene, I, I should rewatch it because that was pretty awesome to, to watch even just the seven or so minutes on YouTube, um, in preparation to discuss it. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't remember the, the movie is utterly forgettable to me otherwise. And that seems strange because that scene was awesome. Yeah. High school watching anything in school is definitely not the not the best uh, situation to watch a movie, especially a horror movie, I think. So. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So those are the kind of the, the scenes we had uh, jotted down. And I think uh, anybody have some final thoughts on the I mean, uh, any common threads you want to speak about? Because I think we've had a good representation. We've talked about um, kind of mood setting scenes. We've talked about tension or drama building. We've talked about a little bit just getting into different fears and making people feel uncomfortable. Uh, anything you kind of want to touch on, Eric or Jason? Well, yeah, I think uh, what you, you just mentioned the the variety we we gave kind of illustrates the illustrates the bigger point as to why we like horror movies is that there's kind of a million different ways to go about it to get to the end product of just being either scary, enjoyable, or fun. And um, that's that's the excitement with watching horror movies. You never know what you're gonna get, and uh, coming up upon scenes like this is why why we keep going. Yeah, that's I think that's very well said, Jason. Any final uh, final thoughts for our listeners? Um, uh, just that I was thinking that. Uh, well, <laughs> let me start. I've got an honorable mention because it's the only scene that has ever had me leave a theater. Um, okay. It is 1991's Hook. I was <laughs> okay. I guess I would have been five or six years old at the time that that uh, I would have seen that, and the bug box um, was enough to reduce me to tears. And having my dad take us uh, take me out of the theater. Um, that's that's very fair. Yeah, so you got to give that one a little bit of a shout out. That's the only one that's ever done that to me. Um, and then uh, as a general thought, I think uh, scenes especially at the rate that we watch horror movies this may just be me uh, <laughs> at my age and having seen as many as i have but the amount of times that you see like a similar scene it just starts to take away from it that's why a lot of the ones that i chose from this list were kind of earlier on in my horror movie uh viewing career if you want to call it that um because the, the the first time you see something like a found footage, it is just so much more impactful than the time that you're going to see it like the, you know, the hundredth time. And the same thing with like a person being possessed by a demon. So, um, yeah, I don't know if there's anybody that will be listening that has not <laughs> not uh, gone into different directions or different genres of horror movies. Check out different stuff because these scenes, the, the, the variety is kind of what... Uh, what makes it interesting to me because I get that there are only so many different ways you can do it and they you could do it to different degrees of uh, effectiveness but um, the the variety I guess is what is really uh, appreciative yeah so I think that's a great parting thought Jason you know the idea that 
when you see something can really affect your appreciation for it. You know, something that might have done, been done a ton, you know, over time, the, the scene doesn't hold up as well. But if you if that's like the only representation you've seen from it, it might still be fresh and great to you. So that's a really cool idea. And uh, I'd also like anybody who's listening, if you want to you know, hit us up with some of your favorite scenes, if they didn't make our list, uh, if you want to throw them our way, say why you like it. Uh, got a got a plug out for our Twitter, plug for our Gmail, and you can uh, throw us a throw us a mention, and we would be happy to read it and uh, kind of compare some of the different things you guys like to hear, like to see uh, versus what we have. Thanks for tuning in to the Jumping Scared podcast. Have any questions, comments? Just want to share your horror movie opinions with us? Feel free to reach us at Jumping Scared Podcast on Twitter or by email jumpingscared at gmail.com. See you next episode.